All right. These are not sermon props. These are voice props. So if you're wondering, what's he going to do with Kleenex and a water bottle? I'm going to get through the next 35 minutes. Hey, uh, how many of you are rooting for the Rams? How many are rooting for the Patriots? And how many of you could care less? That's pretty funny. It was the same in the first service. Apparently, we don't like cheaters or dynasties. Just saying. So God's in control. Yeah, very. That's a way to make a Super Bowl spiritual. Anyway, um, I think I'm going to take this throat thing out. Sorry, that's kind of gross, but I thought I could talk with it in my mouth, but I can't. Hey, uh, we have in the last week, four-week series on Jeremiah 17. Uh, this is a verse that's been pivotal in my own life, and uh, it's been really fun to teach through it. I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed spending the four weeks with it. But Jeremiah 17 says these words. It says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord, whose trust is in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when the heat comes, for its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought, for it does not cease to bear fruit. If you've been here uh, for the last few weeks, you know how this all goes, but if you haven't, I just want to encourage you to go online, listen to the other three weeks, because each week is, is built on the other, and I am convinced uh, that God has really given us this particular passage at this particular time, sort of to, uh, if you will, ground us for the coming year, to give us a, a base as we move into 2019. I think God wants to use Jeremiah 17 in each of our lives to help us to stay focused on him as we navigate the coming year, a way for us to move through the clutter that is life. All of you have lots of distractions, real things going on in your life that can pull you away from faithfully walking with the Lord. And this is a verse that brings us back and centers us and helps us to be grounded. There is a promise at the end of the passage that I read that really could be a rallying cry for all of us in 2019. It's an invitation to be a people, to be a church that doesn't cease to bear fruit. It does not cease to bear fruit. And I just want to pray those words over us as we move into this week four of the series. Lord, I pray that that would be true of us. I pray that we would never cease to be fruitful, that we would be a people that are connected to you, that, that we really do have deep roots, that even when trials and tribulation and heat come, that we would continue to have green leaves and bear fruit in every season. What a beautiful picture that is of your people, of your church bearing fruit. So I just pray that that would be true of us uh, in our homes, that it would be true of us in our workplace, that it would be true of us in our church, in our neighborhood, that we would be a people that bear fruit in every season. Jesus' name, amen. All right, grab your Bibles and turn, if you will, to uh, the book of John, chapter 15. Uh, before I read that, I want to recap where we've been so far. And I know, I know, I know, I know that I'm being very repetitive in this series, but I'm doing that intentionally. I am more convinced than ever that we move way too fast, that we move on to the next thing before we've taken hold of the current thing. And so I feel like the Lord is telling me to slow down, is telling me to be more repetitive, and I think it's for your benefit. What I would love is that next time, a year from now, two years from now, 20 years from now, when you open up your Bible to Jeremiah 17, that 
there are just a few things that just are locked in, that you come back to as soon as you see Jeremiah 17, that you think about those things that we talked about week after week, that it becomes ingrained in, in how you see this passage. And where we started is that this idea of being blessed is defined as being fully satisfied in God regardless of circumstances. And here's the deal. I've gotten some feedback from some of you, and I just want to be crystal clear. I am not saying that God does not bless us. God blesses us in all kinds of, of amazing ways. God blesses us with, with family. God blesses us, bless, you know, Meg and I with, with four amazing children. God, God is always blessed. God blessed most of us with a warm house over the last week, right? Amen to that. Was, did, you, did you take notice of the fact that it was really cold outside? Did anybody miss that? And that it was nice to have a warm place to go to. That's a, a blessing from God. There's all, all kinds of things that we can look at and we can know are a blessing from God, right? Food is a blessing from God, all of these things. And, and we would do well to remember those blessings too, as the old hymn says, count our blessings, name them one by one and, and see all that God has done because it helps us to have a, an attitude of, of gratefulness. But what I'm trying to get across in this series is that in Jeremiah 17, 7, he is not talking about material stuff. He's talking about going way deeper than anything that circumstances, right? It's being satisfied in the sovereignty of God. It's being satisfied in the love of God regardless of circumstances. Probably the best picture of this is, is in Job, right? You guys know Job. He had a pretty rough go of it at first. He was no stranger to adversity, but what does he say? He says, the Lord gave, the Lord takes away, but blessed be the name of the Lord. Regardless of my circumstances, blessed is the Lord, and I am blessed to know who God is. All right, so to be blessed is to be completely satisfied regardless of circumstances. And we also talked about the fact that there is a symbiotic relationship between being blessed, satisfied in God, and exercising trust, right? I use that picture of God reaching out his hand and saying, do you trust me? Would you take my hand? Would you give up self-control and, and rely on me? And, and would you walk with me? And, and what we need to see is that, that trust begets trust, right? That trust also begets the blessing, a deep satisfaction in God. Unless you're willing to take that chance, unless you're willing to take the leap of faith, unless you're willing to take God's hand, give up personal control, give up doing things in your own strength, you're never going to experience the blessing and the understanding that what God has for you is far better than what you have for yourself. The other thing we discovered is that when we do that, that we're fruitful, and that fruit is the word of God lived out in your life, right? Last week, we saw that God speaks. He speaks through circumstances. He speaks through the scriptures. He speaks through his Holy Spirit. Is that soft whisper. He speaks through other people in your small group, in the community of believers. He speaks in, through nature. He speaks in all kinds of ways. But anytime God speaks, that that's a seed. Right, so, so anytime God says something, that's a seed. But what we learn from the, the story, the parable in Mark 4, is that all seeds do not bear fruit. Only the seeds that land in the good soil end up bearing fruit, getting roots and maturing and bearing fruit. And good soil was soil that was free from bitterness and unforgiveness. The good soil was rock-free soil. Remember, we talked about rocks and how rocks are unhealthy attachments to anything other than God, that when we look to anything other than God for comfort or for a source of life, 
when we, when we do that, that we give up and that those seeds don't bear fruit. And, and it's about a, a life focused on God, focused on God and not on the cares of the world. That's the good soil, right? Our hearts are always changing. I think that you could even realize that, that in the, any given day, your heart can be all of those soils based upon even what the word of God is in that moment. Sometimes we reject it because it's hard or because we're embittered, okay? So that's where we've been so far. And this week, what we're gonna do is look at a very familiar story. A lot of you have, have heard the story taught before. And it's a story that helps us to understand what it looks like for us or how it is we're to live a life that allows us to be fruitful, right? So this is a, a story that Jesus is telling and he's telling it in a very intimate setting. He's talking to the 12 disciples on the very night before his crucifixion. So he is sitting with them and he, what he's basically saying to them is that everything's about to change. Everything is about to change, and, and you are about to experience some things that you can't even wrap your mind around, not just in the days ahead, but in the weeks ahead, in the months ahead, and really for the rest of your life, things are going to be pretty wild. You're going to experience all kinds of, of, of difficulties and all kinds of blessings. Your life is going to be totally different from this point forward. But, he says, if you do this one thing, then you will be fruitful regardless of those circumstances, right? So what he's saying to them is, is if you do this, all of the days and weeks ahead, you will stay fruitful. And so the same applies to us. He was talking to the 12, but what he tells them, he is telling us, this is how we are to live our lives in such a way to be fruitful in every circumstance. So John 15 says these words. He says, I, Jesus is talking, am the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because, you, because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he, is, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this the Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I've spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Verse 12, and this is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you, because greater love has no one than this, than somebody lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. No longer do I call you servants, for servant does not know what the master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that the, whatever you ask in the Father's name, he may give it to you. These things I command to you so that you will love one another. Lord, I just pray in these next few minutes as we unpack this familiar passage from John 15 uh, that there would be seeds, that you would speak your word that it would land in hearts 
that are ready to receive it, that it would uh, germinate, that it, the roots would go deep, and that it would grow to maturity and bear fruit 30, 60, 100-fold. Thank you that you are always speaking. Help us to be people who listen. In Jesus' name, amen. But Jesus opens with these words. He says, I am, right? I am. And this is the, the seventh of, of a group of I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. He says, I am the bread of life in chapter six. He says, I'm the light of the world in chapter eight. He says, I am the gate in chapter 10. He says, I'm the good shepherd in chapter 10. He says, I'm the resurrection and the life in chapter 11. In chapter 14, Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And then he gets to chapter 15, and Jesus says, I am the true vine. And what you need to understand, we need to understand, is that the Gospel of John was written probably about 50 years after the other Gospels. And it was written because people had begun to make assumptions, false assumptions, about who Jesus was. He was being kind of portrayed as a great teacher. He was being portrayed as a great prophet. He was being portrayed in all kinds of ways that weren't divine that he was being portrayed in something other than the Messiah and other than a part of the Godhead that we know that they are. So John goes back and he writes his account of the gospel for the purpose of helping us to understand that Jesus really was who he said he was. He's writing it to set the record straight, if you will. Right, That Jesus could not have been just an exceptional man. He couldn't be a, a great prophet. He's not a, an, an angel that was elevated to a particular status. He's not a man that was, was brought about because this earth was created for him, and so we're just going to make this earth special for him. All these, these false teachings, many of which we still have in, in current religious orders, but what, it, what John is saying is, no, he was who he said he was. He was God, and he's making it clear that Jesus said of himself, I am God. And so the claim itself means that either Jesus was who he said he was, or he was an imposter, right? So C.S. Lewis says he's either God or he's a lunatic, right? Because he really claimed to be God. Those I am statements were powerful statements, especially in the first century context. And they went all the way back to when Moses was with God and God said, I am who I am. And when you go to the people, tell them, I am sent you. It became a title for God. I am who I am. So tell them, I am sent you. So in, in John 8, when Jesus is talking, he says to the people, he says, truly I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. And every first century Jew would have known Jesus was saying, I am God. He wasn't being coy. He wasn't, he wasn't trying to trick them. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, trying, you know, sometimes when you read the Gospels, because we're reading it in our context, it seems like Jesus wasn't clear, but I, I, I'm telling you, he was crystal clear to the people. I am who I am. I am God. And so that's why John writes all these I am statements. But we get to the last one, and Jesus says, I am the true vine. Now, if Jesus is the true vine, what's the implication? that there are false vines, and indeed there are. We talked about them last week, those rocks in the, in the field. Anything that we attach to in order to get life, anything that we attach to thinking that will bring us life other than Jesus 
right, are false vines. And he's saying there's only one connection that you can make that's truly gonna bring you life. Anything else that you attach yourself to. And what I think is fascinating is those things that we attach ourselves to quite often are the blessings that God has given us. We talked about those at the beginning. God does bless us. But then we, we see the blessings and we think the blessing is where we're gonna get life. So things like food can become a false idol. Things like working out can be a false idol. Things like sex can be a false idol. We, have, we can take the good things that God has given us, even the great things, family, you name it, and we can turn it into an idol. We can attach ourselves to it and think that that's the vine that's it. If I connect myself to that, then I'm going to have life. And Jesus is saying, nope, I am the true vine. I am the only vine that brings life. Jeremiah 17 is this vivid portrait. As you're either attached and your roots go deep and you draw from, from me and you have life, or you're attached to self, anything other than me, and it's about death and destruction and desolation. Right? So Jesus is saying, I am the true vine. But then he says something that in, our t- in today's culture, I think, is pretty controversial, or at least not politically correct. Look at it. He says in verse 2, he says, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Jump down to verse 6, because he says it again with different words, but he's reinforcing the same point. He says, if anyone doesn't abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch that withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown in the fire and burned. And this is what he's saying. He's saying, you are either connected or you're rejected. You're either in or you're out. You're either with me or you're against me. Right? He's making this very clear distinction. And here's what we need to know is all paths do not lead to God. Jesus himself said, I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life, and you don't get to the Father unless you go through me. Now, we cannot like that. We can want to have a more politically correct view that, that it's okay, you can be this or you can be that. You can, you can practice this religion. They're all gonna get there eventually. But I just want you to know that that is not what Jesus said and that is not what the Bible tells us, that there is one way. You're either in or you're out. You're either connected or you are rejected. He says something else in verse two that I think we have to stop and look at. He says, you're either connected or you're rejected, but he says, if you're connected, if you're actually connected, look at verse two again. It says, every branch that's in me doesn't bear fruit, it takes away, that's rejection. But every branch that does bear fruit that is connected, it's pruned. Look, I don't know about you, but that does not sound pleasant. It is a cutting away of part of your branches. It's a, it's a trimming, and we've talked about this for the last few weeks, but, but God takes us through a refining process. God puts us in a place where we are being trimmed, where we are being pruned. Even when we are connected to him, we're gonna go through seasons of difficulty that help us to bear more fruit. Now, here's what I need you to hear. This is super important. This story that Jesus is telling is not saying that you can lose your salvation. There is enough scriptural evidence that makes it very clear. Jesus himself says, nothing, nothing can snatch you from the Father's hands. Nothing is gonna go. It actually says when you put your trust in Jesus that you are sealed. It actually is the same word as branded, right? So your, your eternal security is okay. This is not a story about falling in and out and in and out of salvation. It's not about that at all. 
And it's important that we know that because once you know that, then the story reads very differently. But if you have put your trust in Jesus, your eternity is secure. What this story is about, what Jesus is doing, is is he is talking to the 12 disciples. And he's really telling a story about Judas. He's basically saying to him, look, you, you have all been with me, but one of you haven't ever really been with me. One of you's never become one of us. One of you has stayed an outsider. And he was talking about Judas, and we know how the story goes. Judas betrays him and, and is turned in. But he's saying of the other 11, you're clean. You're good. You're connected. Don't worry. He says, if you've been cleaned, you're clean. It, it, it's okay. But then he begins this beautiful dialogue about intimacy. It's it's this beautiful invitation about what it means to live a fruitful life connected to Jesus. So look at verse four. He says, abide in me and I in you. Verse five, he says, whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. It's an invitation to abide. It's an invitation to hang out. It's an invitation to sit and to be in the presence of the living God through Jesus. That word abide actually means live. So when, when the disciples, some of the disciples early on asked Jesus, where do you stay? They actually said, where do you abide? Where's your house? Where do you, where do you hang out? And that's what this is a picture of. It's a picture of, of intimacy, of hanging out with Jesus himself. But if we're honest with ourselves, we realize that we kind of wander off sometimes. We don't always stay in the presence. I, what I want you to hear is that doesn't mean you're jeopardizing your salvation. What you're jeopardizing is a healthy intimacy, a, a healthy connection with Jesus. Our abiding determines the fruit in our lives. Remember, fruit is the word of God, God's spoken word in our life, lived out, brought to maturity, and bearing fruit. When we abide, we bear fruit. And if we don't abide, We're not risking salvation. We're risking and forfeiting intimacy and fruitfulness. So what I want to do is I want to talk about what Jesus talks about. And there are three markers, three markers for what it it looks like, what what, what it means to abide in Jesus. Three markers. The first marker of abiding is that God's word stays with you. God's word stays with you. Look at verse seven. It says, if you abide in me and my words abide in you. Now, I'm going to go back to a sermon that I preached January 6th, and I'm going to do it really fast, but if you're interested in more of it, go back and listen to January 6th, and I unpack this in detail. But there are three words in the Greek that we translate W-R-D or W-R-D-S, words, three different words in the Greek. Uh, those, that's logos, graphi, and, and rhema. Logos is God's overarching plan. It's God's ways, God's laws, God's systems. It's, it's the overarching way that God moves. So when John Earlier, our worship leader read the beginning of John and said, in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. That's the word logos. That everything in God's purposes was made known in Jesus. The other one is graphe. That's the scripture, the inerrant word of God. It's another way of talking about the word. More often than not, when we read the word in scripture, we're probably thinking about scriptures, but it's more... um, Uh, robust than that. And then the last one is rhema. Can we put up the definition of rhema? It's a spoken word by a living voice. A spoken word by a living voice, commonly used in the New Testament of the Lord speaking this living word into a believer for the purpose of embirthing faith, right? So it's, it's when God speaks through all of those different ways, a rhema word. 
And to be abiding is that that word that God speaks actually stays with you. You find yourself pondering it. You find yourself thinking about it. You find yourself asking, Lord, help me to understand what it is you're trying to say to me. Lord, help me to live this word that you've spoken out in my, in my being. It's not like God speaks and you say, wow, that's really cool. And then you go on and do whatever you want to do. It stays with you. The word of God ruminates in you. How many of you took up the one word challenge? Right? God gave you a word. Now, if that word stays with you, if you let it percolate, if you let it sink in deep, if you, if you find all the layers to that, that's the word of God staying with you. So the first marker of abiding in God is that when God speaks, his word stays with you. It stays on your mind. It stays in your heart. The second is that God's love surrounds you. Verse nine, as the Father has loved me, I have loved you. Abide in my love. I say this all the time, but this is the hinge pin that our faith swings on, to know the love of the Father, the love that surpasses all knowledge. That's why it's so important that, that your understanding of God's love is growing, that how deep and wide and high and long is the love of God, the love that surpasses all knowledge is the prayer that we pray over you, that we want for you, that as you grow in your understanding and your knowledge of how much God loves you, it allows you to walk faithfully with God. You think about the, the, the conversation or the singing about our identity. That identity is, is rooted in God's love. When you really know those names that God calls you, how much God loves you, when we talk about you're a good, good father, all of that is there to help you to, to rest in, to abide in, to allow God's love to engulf you, to, to surround you. Henry Nouwen, great writer, says, the unfathomable mystery of God is that God is a lover who wants to be loved. The one who created us is waiting for our response to the love that gives us our being. God not only says, you are my beloved, but God also asks, do you love me? And offers us countless chances to say, yes. That is the spiritual life. And that radically changes everything. You and I are being invited into something grand to be engulfed, to be surrounded, to be overcome by the love of God, the love of God made known through the Son who was willing to give up his very life to show you how much God loves you. So there's three markers for those who abide. God's word, he speaks, it stays with you. God's love surrounds you and you're obedient seems to be the less popular of the three, but you're obedient. Look at verse 10. It says, if you keep my commandments, then you abide in my love. Not obedient out of duty, but out of beauty. Not obedient because you have to, but obedient because you get to. Not out of fear, but out of reverence. God's love has a way of, of shifting our behaviors towards the good. God's love should drive our morality. God's love should, should fuel our passion for justice. When we know how much God loves us, our, our behaviors shift and we're obedient. God's word stays with you. God's love surrounds you and you're obedient. Now, the best way I know to help you to, to kind of wrap your mind around this is to use uh, parenting as an analogy. So how many of you are parents? How many of you had parents? Okay, okay. It should cover just about all of us. 
If you didn't have parents, you had some kind of caregiver, I would say. So you can understand this analogy. Either you're still putting your place, yourself in the place of having parents or being a parent. But, but we all, as parents, uh, have rhema words for our kids. Remember, what rhema is what? A spoken word by a living voice. If you have a voice and you're living and you have children, you have spoken words over your kids. And they're words like how you want them to live. Hey, I want you to always be kind. I, I want you to always see the person that's being abused in the school or, or being bullied and you step in and you be their advocate. Hey, I really want to make sure that you know how to do this, how to do that. Don't steal, right? Don't. You, you are speaking words, rhema words over your kids all the time. Words of direction, words of, of encouragement, words of, of character that you want them to to grow into. Those are rhema words. And what do you want as a parent? You want them to remember the words. As a matter of fact, you want them to think about it, right? You want them to remember. I, I was just hugging my granddaughter before she went into the classroom, and I said, be good today. Make me proud. Be good in your classroom, right? I want her to, it would be great if she thought, oh, grandpa said be good today, so I'm not going to stick this pencil in the back of this kid's neck or whatever, you know? <laughs> I, I don't know what she's about to do. Sure, she's not about to do that. But anyway, the point is, we want our kids to remember those words that we've spoken over them. But not out of fear, because they know we love them. Right? We just want what's best for them. We're just, we're, we, we know what's, what, what's the best way. We want them to have great character, not so that we can brag about them, but because we know that's going to be better for them in life. Right? And so if they know that we love them, and if they let those words that we've spoken over ruminate with them, then they're more likely to be obedient and do the things that we've asked of them and we've, we've called them to and spoken over them. But here's the deal. When they don't do it, and all of our kids sometimes don't do what we wanted them to do, they don't ever stop being our kids. I raised four kids. I never once said, okay, you're out. You're not my kid anymore. I know you used to be my son, but because you did that, you're not my son. It never even crossed my mind, right? God, we don't lose our position, but I can tell you in those seasons of disobedience, my intimacy with that child was strained, sometimes severely strained. It's very hard to have a close, intimate relationship when someone is being willfully disobedient. And so it is with us and God. He calls us to certain things and he wants things out of us. And when we're willfully disobedient, he doesn't kick us out. He says, look, I can't be intimate with you in this moment while you are holding me with the Heisman and pushing me away. Are you going to let go of that or are you going to come back in repentance? Now, you can, you can mend all of that, but that's the, the picture of this abiding, that, that God's words, the things that God calls over us and stays with us and God's love surround us and we're obedient to the things that God wants. And then he says this, it's, I just think it's fascinating. He says it, sorry, he says it, this is what it means to be obedient. Look at verse 12 says, my command is this, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no man than this, than that he lay down his life for a friend. Sounds easy, right? Not so much. But it's not very complicated. The words God has spoken of you is just love one another. Put aside your own wants and desires for the wants and desires of each other. And watch how all of those commands that I've given you tend to play out anyway, and you tend to be obedient. Like, you can't be harboring bitterness towards one another and love each other at the same time. You can't be a gossip and a slanderer and love each other at the same time. Love has this way of propelling us towards all of us. Love God and love others, and then you're going to live out and be obedient in me. Verse 14, you're my friend's. 
if you do what I command you. What did he command you? That you love one another. Remember what I told you at the beginning, this is an invitation to intimacy. God is inviting you into a relational friendship. This beautiful friendship of abiding and knowing and staying in the presence of God. It's not complicated, but it's certainly not easy. But we're obedient when we love others the way God has loved us. And then he makes this incredible promise. Look at it. He says in verse 11, when God's word stays with you and God's love surrounds you and, and you're obedient to love one another the way he's loved us, Jesus says, then my joy may be in you and your joy will be full. I don't know about you, but I want full joy. I want what God is promising in John 15. I want it for me, but I want it for every one of you. I want us to be a church deeply rooted in abiding and staying with Jesus and, and that his joy would be a part of who we are as a church. Jeremiah 17 says, blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. Who trusts in the Lord. He's like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It doesn't fear when the heat comes. Its leaves remain green. It's not anxious in the year of drought. And it does not cease to bear fruit. Let me pray for you. Lord, I, I pray that we would accept the invitation to abide in you. You're reaching out your hand and you're saying, walk with me, abide with me, hang out with me. Listen to my words and, and let those words ruminate in your spirit. Surround yourself in the love of the Father. Be obedient to love one another. That my joy may be full and my joy may be in you. Lord, thank you for the invitation Jesus gives all of us to walk in intimacy with the living God. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I just wanna encourage you uh, if you need prayer, we have a great prayer team down here. There's a sense that there's some single moms that are just having some struggles. We'd love to pray over you. Uh, we heard this morning that there's some people maybe struggling with some vision issues. Uh, if that's you and you want us to pray for you, uh, that would be great. Physical, spiritual, any needs at all, uh, we'll be down here. And we'd love to lay hands on you and pray for you. And uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. God bless you. We made it. God bless. <laughs>